And I'm eating it with my runcible spoon. Ooh, a sp- <laughs> that's a spork. Your spork. Runcible spoon. What does that mean? Beth literally holds up spork. Runcible spoon. What's a runcible spoon? What's that word you're saying? I don't understand. Google it. I can't spell it. <gasps> runcible. Oh, I'm going to guess. Oh, I, I got it way wrong. This vaguely rings bells, but I don't know why. R-U-N-C-I-B-L-A-E? L-E. Long before... Long before we decided to call them sporks, these were runcible spoons. And that's important to know because it means that when you have to set a formal place setting, it goes with the spoons. Mm. A thing I know because this thing is actual flatware. Okay, but I'm trying to think of an event I would go to. Arthur, this is just cold open. You can use any of this. I, I'm trying to think of I didn't think of an event I'd go to where it'd be like, oh, I have the soup spoon, the salad fork, and my runcible spoon. It's for the tater tot course. Yeah, you know what? I can consider that. It's, the thing about the runcible spoon is it's the perfect tater tot implement of destruction. I mean, because I have, I have the short, the short. No, 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 no. This is formal. Oh yes, sorry. I, I forgot that we were talking in a formal setting. Emily Post would never. So the perfect, the best thing about the runcible spoon, or the spork, if you insist, is that you say it so hatefully. The tines on it are short, which means they only penetrate part of the way into the tater tot. And if the tater tot is properly crispy, a standard fork will break it in half. A fork will ruin your tater tot experience, whereas the runcible spoon is properly set up to do that. And if you if you're a condiment sort of one ter person, you put that on the spoon end of the runcible spoon, you spear the fork, and then you can determine at the time of bite how much topping you want. I don't want that. I don't want that much mayo. That's a lot of mayo for me. <gasps> I'm so sad right now. Uh, I am pleased to inform you that there is a Wikipedia page for the word runcible and a subheading around runcible spoon. Yes, did you find the origin of it? Because it's delightful. Oh, yeah, it's from the owl and the pussycat, which is why I knew the word runcible. Uh, but the part about the spoon, <clears throat> in other uses, a so-called runcible spoon is a fork shaped like a spoon, a spoon-shaped fork, a grapefruit spoon. Uh, modern dictionaries have generally defined a runcible spoon as a fork with three broad curved tines and a sharpened edge used with pickles or hors d'oeuvres, such as a pickle fork. It is used as a synonym for spork. Now, time out. Now I got to find a picture of a pickle fork. Because again, this goes on the the vast layout that I can imagine Beth's, I think, picnics look like with formal wear. Mm-hmm. See, the problem with Googling pickle fork, though, is that you're going to get the automotive implement. Oh, that's true. I or didn't something realize. really troubling on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Hold up, Urban Dictionary. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, it's there. Of course it's there. Uh, the first one is the automotive part. The second part is uh, not. <laughs> Let me start the podcast now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> now, that they, now that we've got the energy good. Welcome, everyone, to the Sickles Committee Podcast. This is our podcast for the evening of January 16th, 2024. It is still fucking cold in North Texas to the point where I have gone outside today with my dog, Julep, who will usually walk in whatever weather. 
I got her halfway down the block. She turned right around and was like, I'm good. She never does that because it is fucking cold. Kamish, is it really cold in San Antonio too? Yeah, um, it felt like eight this morning when I was taking my Jesus kiddo to school. Um, it's going to drop to like 20 something again today. I don't, uh, it's a night or whatever. Um, yeah, it's cold. I have to like stop myself from buying stuff right now. Yeah. Like cold weather stuff. Like, hey, it's cold. I need I need like I need another blanket. Um maybe I do need another pair of like like winter pants or something. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just I look at the forecast on Thursday, the high is gonna be seventy three. Yep. So if <laughs> so I like, were you by the time the blanket arrives, it's it's warm again. So I think the play for you guys is actually to go Gore-Tex rain suit because it holds in heat incredibly well. So you can just do like the hoodie sweatpants thing under Gore-Tex rain suit and you will be delightfully warm. There we go. And it's actually useful to you later in your Texan lives. So before we get too far, let's talk about who's talking because I always fuck this up and don't want to. Look who's talking now. I tried, Pit Girl. We have Kamish, Beth. Pick girl and Arthur on the ones and twos. Beth, who was talking about Gore-Tex, how are you doing? Um, my life is empty now that my house is no longer full of French horns. You had twenty French horns in your basement, I believe. Uh, eighteen, but yes, with with yeah, with, people, with, with with people attached to them, though, correct? Yes, yeah, they had they all had humans accompanying them. Um, <laughs> there was one person who was doubling on mellow. Okay. Um, and then there were other instruments too, but it's mostly all about the French horn. So, so Beth, let's talk about what you were playing. What were you uh, playing, Beth? I was playing the guitar. Yeah, fuck yeah, you were. Which is the traditional French horn accompaniment vehicle. Yes, this is. I'm I'm pretty sure that all of the great French uh, horn, the great horn concertos, like the Mozart, <laughs> would sound. Actually, you know what? You know what? Now I want to hear the Mozart done with a um, uh, guitar accompaniment. You know I would do this. Like, yeah, I know. You know I would do this. And you have horn player friends, so you got kind of got to do this now. Yeah, I probably some, do. Some 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 grad student because if you don't know, once you get to grad grad school in music as an instrumentalist, you're allowed to just do weird shit sometimes. Like that's just allowed, especially at your doctorate level, because you're just trying to find things to play that no one else has played in a long time. So you're allowed to do weird shit. A horn player friend of mine did one that was for solo horn and cowbell, uh, offstage <laughs> horn and cowbell. Because it was supposed to be uh, like the Swiss horn calls. And I was the cows that were following her along. So I played the cowbell. And I got criticized on my cowbell playing by the professor of percussion at North Texas because it wasn't uh, cow-like enough. So I get home and my email is full of 20 goddamn YouTube videos of cows <laughs> wandering around so I can get the, 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 the sort of the rhythm correct. Because it has to be arhythmic rhythmic. Yeah. Be so, the cow, Jordan. I, yeah, I wasn't. This particular... He, he ended that with, that was okay. Out of the performance. Fucking great. Oh my God. I just, oh, I, my heart just shrivels up hearing that. Um, yeah, this group is a, it is a traditional horn group. So you have more than a dozen horns. You have a guitar, you have a cello, and then you have a rhythm section covering such horn masterworks as Maynard Ferguson and Chicago. Oh, and Pharrell Williams. Let us not forget. So yeah, it's very traditional. Hey girl, how are you? It snowed again, which hooray, because it didn't snow at all last winter. Beth and I are both very happy to have the snow. 
Uh, but that does also mean that I am currently waging war against my municipalities. Plow guys, not because they don't do great work, they do, but I park on the street. And that means that I inevitably have to dig my car out of Plow Slush Mountain. But gotcha. I won the war today, or I won the battle today, at Ow. least. Because I got out, they they do a really good job with the main road. And they don't usually get to my road for a while. They did not get to my road until afternoon today. So I went out and shoveled and cleared out a big space and did not get plowed in. And I am happy. Do you guys do the folding chair thing or the cone? What is this? The The parking chair is a Pittsburgh institution. Okay. I am too far east and in a suburb rather than a city. And for both of those reasons, there is no parking chair. There is plenty of parking in my neighborhood. And so most people will not park in a space that is not the one that they dug out, generally speaking. Shout out to the guy that used to live in my building who drove a very large truck and used to park in my space. That was annoying. But generally speaking, the parking chair is not something that I see implemented. In places where parking is a little tighter, I would not be surprised to see it, but not in my neighborhood. Now, the penalty for moving the parking chair is? Death. Yes. Yes. If, I mean, if someone has shoveled the space and placed their chair upon the space and you move the chair and you take the beautifully shoveled and cleared space, your body will never be found. Mm-hmm. And this is appropriate and bright. Until the thaw, I assume. No, never. There's so many there's so many blue holes, Jordan. Just so many blue holes. So I want to start with something that's not on the show notes, but something I wanted to mention is that today something came out that I'm I'm really hurting about. You guys have does P is there PDOT, Pennsylvania Department of Transportation? Do you guys have that thing? It's called PennDOT, but yes. Okay, sure. So do you guys have quirky signs? Yeah. Okay. So there are places that have quirky signs. Texas has like fun signs that like, as you were talking about, you know, not drinking and driving and they make it kind of cute or buckle your seatbelt, things like that. Those are no longer allowed as of 2026. Why? In any state. Why? Because the U.S. Federal Highway Administration has released their new manual, 1,100 pages. I have not been through it all yet, but we have a long off season. And one of the things is that you cannot have signs with obscure meanings, references to pop culture, or intended to be funny. It has, has to be simple, direct, brief, legible, and clear. Thank you, Biden. Thanks, Joe Biden. I know. No, Pete. This is Pete. Fucking Pete. This is garbage. Are they going to make the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission stop doing memes, too? I fucking hope not. Because I hate this. Make so- government fun again. If they did that... You remember during the beginning of the pandemic where a bunch of the government organizations went rogue on their Twitter accounts? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that would happen so fast with the National Forest Service and with the uh, and and with our friends in safety. Like mm-hmm. we would have like, we would have like pirate Twitter accounts from the government. And I'm all for that. On so, that note, pour one out for the fun version of PA Treasury. What's the fun version of PA Treasury? PA Treasury was fun on Twitter for quite a while. And unfortunately, there is I haven't is a... looked in a long time. They're not fun anymore? No, they stopped being Aww. fun when the new when Garrity got elected. So, yeah, no no more fun PA Treasury. Okay. I hate well, that. So, anyways, I hate to bring you guys down, but that did happen. So, I know. So, let's talk about something we love to talk about, abolishing time. Mm-hmm. Girl, what did you what did you bring to us? Uh, so, Blue Sky 
in its infinite wisdom, brought me a gift. Hold up. Kamish is making faces like this is not going the way he wants it to go. Kamish, what's your face, sir? <laughs> I, I, I'm confused. Did, did I get introduced? You did. You talked about how cold it is. Okay, yeah. that's it. All right. Yeah, okay. whatever. Cold. Fine. This, that, that's commission. Okay. Do you, have, do you have something else you want to talk about? Uh, what's, what's, what are you working through today? Well, I was I was teaching my kiddo to read. Yeah. Uh, so like we're going through like the phonics and and whatnot. Um, so we're, we're doing that, and he spots my book on uh, the Dad War, uh, the, the one that I, I'm I bought a book on on about the Falkland Islands War. I, so, uh, Las Malvinas. That's oh Las my Malvinas. god! Hey yeah. guys, look no. at the podcast. Isla, Isla Malvinas. But yes, what's up? Hold up, hold up. Where's my print screen? Okay, I'm dropping this just in our in, in our chat because this is okay. Oh no. Go ahead, keep going. So, he's like, I want to learn how to read, so I can read the the Falkland Islands War book with you. There you like, go. I like that. I'm, Baby's first Falkland Islands War. I like that. So, so I'm trying to explain the Falkland Islands War to him, and I'm like <laughs> pulling up the map and stuff, and he's just he's he's fascinated by this. So now I have a little like war child, like war dad and, and the war kid, kid uh, Rambo, like, kid Rambo. Uh, just yeah, I wanted to get that out. I didn't I, I didn't know I got. Uh, I my intro was just talking no, about how great. cold it was. No, you can talk about this too. It's fine. But yeah, it's. Um, I was like. <laughs> That's a weird motivation to, to learn how to read. My motivation was trying to get those little tiny, little tiny pizzas from Pizza Hut, the personal pan pizza, and they maybe still, like some coupons they for mini golf. They, they, I tried to sign up for it uh, in San Antonio over the summer, and then it said I was already registered for it, and they there was no help to get out of this, so I couldn't register for it. And I was like, what is going on? And I, I went to my local Pizza Hut. They're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. It was like the Book It program. I don't know. Hey, girl, did you do Book It? I did. Okay, I so did. yours. This is once once again you you make yourself as an argument of being a, a true millennial. Like you are not you are not Gen Z. You are millennial. Oh, I got I got so many coupons for personal pan pizzas. I also remember my fourth grade teacher doing like a DIY Book It where it was like this many books to get around the world. If everybody got around the world at least once, we got a pizza party. I think I got around the world like six or seven times. Yeah. Did you, could you bring other people along? Uh, I probably should have. That was also one of the ones where like my teacher started giving me credit for multiple books because I was reading like yeah, yeah. doorstops. So yeah. I, Listener, I'm, you will be unsurprised to learn that I am and I was and am and always will be an enormous nerd. Yeah. That sort of is everyone on here. Let's be real honest here. That's why we vibe so well. So what did you, so Pet Girl, what did you bring for us for the class today? Yes. Show and tell. Uh, Blue Sky gave me a gift. Thank you, Blue Sky. And that was a poster stapled to a telephone pole that has many staples in it. I do not know where the poster originated, sadly. But it reads, make 2024 the final year. Abolish time. Let us be free from the boring drudgery of work and capitalism that times, time makes possible. Capital T time there. Capital T time. Every clock is a cop. We call for the complete and total abolition of time itself. We call for a free life unstructured by the inhuman rigidity of time and the police, prisons, and other methods of control it necessitates. Hold on. No more there... dead time. Only okay. party time. Right. Co-signed. So, Co-signed. So, so basically, 
this says every clock is a cop. I love so, that. Sentence. So so now that uh, essentially it, it, you want to abolish time and it's mm-hmm. a cop. So it's mm-hmm. time cop. So every every clock is Jean Claude Van Damme. Oh, I sure. thought you were going to say we're going to abolish Notre Dame football, but yeah, that too. Yeah, I, I went with the Jean Claude Van Damme reference, but you so know he, I, he is time cop. He is yes. time cop. I have not seen time cop in a long time. Oh, uh, we got to watch time. that. What is so? I see the anarchist symbol. I think what's the arrow thing? I have no idea. Yeah, this. I mean, someone printed this out and put stuck it to something. I kind of want to remake this for ourselves. <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll do that because was time cop set in twenty twenty four? I know I'm on every... the podcast. Google things. Two thousand four. Time cop was set in two thousand four. Yeah, we've already uh, passed the time cop universe. Yeah, I believe so. So, Good Lord, that pointy thing—that mm-hmm. is the symbol of chaos, also known as the chaos star. Okay, okay, that sounds so this, right. This is Warhammer. No. This is uh, from Michael Moorcock's Elric of Melibony's stories and their dichotomy of law and chaos. Okay. I don't know if it's a racist thing or not. I mean, if it's not, it we should been, take it. It's been adopted in role playing games such as oh, yeah, it's been used in D. We're good. Okay. We're good. Everything's cool. This is I, my new astrological sign. And by new astrological sign, I'm pretty sure it was this all along. Yeah, so, Chilean insurrectionary anarchists wear this symbol sometimes. Yeah, that sounds this awesome. Is fine. One of my one of my favorite classical music piece, pieces is variations on uh, "The People United Will Never Be Divided," which is a Chilean like workers' anthem. Mm-hmm. It's a great piano piece by Rajevsky, I think. Really great piece. Anyway, damn, I'm I'm looking at uh, Google right. I just googled uh, Time Cop, and there's a lot of places you can watch it. Uh, according to Google, this is this is. I haven't verified all of these. It says you can watch it on Tubi, Pluto TV, Peacock, the Roku channel, Amazon Prime Video, or Plex. They have it's like it's everywhere. Time Cop is everywhere. They've licensed it to everyone they could because people need to see Time Cop. That's right. I need to see it. Time there was Cop. a direct. There's a direct DVD sequel called Time Cop Two: The Berlin Decision. Okay, well done. Was that VAR? VAR. Oh, ah, ha, 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 ha. I got you. What? Why am I looking at a basketball court in an airport? What is this? Why, why not? The, so in Indianapolis is hosting the NBA All-Star Game. It's in the middle of February. February and 18th. Yes. Yes. With the, the other events in the days leading up to that. So in order to promote the NBA All-Star Game, they've put a basketball court inside Indianapolis International Airport. However, I have a big issue here. If you look at all of these pictures, one, no one is actually playing basketball. Uh, If you look, we'll put these pictures in the chat uh, if you're in the Discord. Um, They're pretty easy to find. They've been all over social media if you're on social media. But you can see they have... Like, what are those things called? Like the ropes where you can like stretch them out and connect them to another thing. Uh, no, uh, they're they're you know what uh, I'm ball, like bollards or whatever you call yeah. Not bollards, yeah, like if you have like a line, yeah, like a line or something. 
Well, so anyway, this is like it's clearly like, hey, like don't come near the basketball hoops, right? So like I've seen a lot of people posting like, oh, it's so cool they put a basketball court in the airport. Like it very clearly you cannot play basketball here, right? Like directly yes. next to the court. The full like court itself is clear of any sort of like chairs or anything like that, but like right next to it there's just like chairs where people are eating food like it's just clearly not set up for people to play basketball. I don't, I don't think, know. Is it, I don't it, know. It, is I, that a good or bad thing? Right. Because I feel like you're playing basketball. You're probably going to work up a sweat. You might not want people getting on an airplane right after hooping. But I feel like it's just kind of a tease to have to put a basketball court there. But it's clearly decorative. It's not for use. People get really I mean, even in pickup games, people get really intense <clears throat> And people are already high strung at the airport anyways. I can't imagine going through security and then being like, oh, no, we're going to ball now. And just that anger carrying over and then getting on my flight. I can't wait. I can't wait to try to, you know, uh, get a rebound and and pop my Achilles (laughs) in in the Indianapolis airport and then limp to the flight. Uh, Just What happened, Tim? We were supposed to be at the meeting. Well, I tore my ACL at the Indianapolis airport. I had I had a Try, wicked trying to do the god sham god, you know. Just, <laughs> it didn't work out. Are we just ignoring the fact that it looks like this is just a vinyl overlay on a tile floor? I was going to say that it looks like a sticker. I think it is a sticker. I don't think it's actual wood. But but even then, there's there's something to be said. I forget who wrote this, but there because there are lines on the floor, it is a space that where games are played. Mm-hmm. There are rules. And I see people saying in the middle of that, and that it still hurts me, even though I know basketball is not being played there. Is that weird? Even though people aren't playing, seeing someone stand like with a suitcase in the middle of that court, I'd walk around it. So, I would 100% walk around this. You respect the court. You respect the I, game. I don't know what, like, I just, I would walk around this. It would feel weird to walk across it. So is basketball a good airport sport? If you're going to put a sport in an airport, definitely is, racquetball. Is it a good? Well, no. It, like we can open it up, but like, is <clears throat> basketball objectively a good airport sport? I think it's an okay airport sport. You could play pickup there, things pretty quickly. There are worse. Mm-hmm. There are worse sports to put in the airport. What's the what? worst sport you can think of to put in an airport? Golf, football. I, I football. feel like it's something where football is a bad idea. I would say hockey because you have like sharpened skates. Mm. No, uh, that, I'm, I'm swimming would probably with. cause problems. I'm I'm still going with something like like shooting shooting rifle oh. archery oh, yeah. polo javelin like polo. I, you I, have I these in the airport. In the airport. <laughs> Forty meter high dive. You said you said somebody said javelin. It's just <laughs> I'm just imagining like somebody doing a hammer throw <laughs> in the middle of the airport. Takes out the Panda Express, just straight through. <laughs> We're tossing the caber in the airport. We're having Ooh, a full we... Highland Games. In the I'm airport. just gonna totally pole vault over the TSA. Uh, just Think, like, like, not... like Todd, the poor kid working the Hudson News, is like, oh, not again. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, Damn, it's not it's... another shot put. <laughs> oh no, it's fucking, tra- it's fucking track and field day at the airport again. Damn it. I think track and field is an event that happens in any airport where people have connecting flights. I mean, that yeah, is true. There, there is a lot track of running. Definitely does. Yeah, definitely. Airport high jump. Yeah, that, that happens. I, I think that I think that one of the worst ones might actually be something like like golf, 
because it's so packed and there's just so many chances to like slam someone in the head or out a window. Okay, no, here's so golf like in, in the terminal where people are walking around, like that would be bad. But can you imagine how awesome an airport top golf would be? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or like a driving race, something I, like that concept. Yeah. Like you're already in a space where it's socially acceptable to drink at any time. Airport top golf. I'm calling it now. This is our business idea. Sickles Do not committee. steal it. DMT. DMT. Air, airport, airport top golf. Yeah, even Top Golf, like the actual company, you're not allowed to steal this one. We're gonna put Top so Golf in. Does everybody airport. have to put on like headphones outside though? At least with like the flights taken off. Everyone, everyone's oh. an adult. Silent rave, airport Top Golf. <laughs> I like it. I just imagine like a plane takes off or something like that, and like the whole net falls down. <laughs> but I, but because it's an airport and the businesses already don't make a lick of sense, it needs to be Top Golf combined with something else. It needs to be a stupid combo business. So why not we like Top Golf and axe throwing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> top axe. Top, top axe. axe. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of like like lawn games, so to speak, like I feel like Ooh, those are airport things lawn that darts. Would work. Yep. Airport. <laughs> Yeah, like stuff like that, or like you call it like X golf. Um, I feel TMT, like golf TMT, TMT, Lawn dart golf is an idea. Axe golf. You throw axes at the targets as far as possible while the airports are taking off. The airplanes taking off. No, and you score points how far you can throw. If you, if you, if you, hey, if you hit a fucking flying door off a Boeing, extra points. Topical. Gotta be worth like only fair. Topical. My brain is also like stuck on the opposite end of the spectrum. How so? Airport putt putt. So it has to exist. So the thing about airport putt putt, because I was thinking about this, you know, the moving walkways at the Pittsburgh airport. Mm-hmm. I want there to be like you can either walk on the moving walkway or everything around it is mini golf. Mm, that so would be really like, good in Atlanta. You're like Atlanta has so much moving sidewalk through the yeah moving sidewalk through the middle of the mini golf course what what i would want what i would want for atlanta is like in that the where you go between the terminal like if you don't want to take the plane train like mm-hmm. you walk between yeah. the terminals like underground that's mm-hmm. where they should put the the putt putt golf mm, there you go i have done that actually because the previous time i had been in the atlanta airport to the time that i walked rather than taking the air, air taking the plane train i got my backpack stuck in the plane train and that was not super fun so oh, anytime oh no. like Every time I transfer in Atlanta, I like have a personal goal to see how much of the airport I can cover. I've made it the last time I was there, I had lunch at the at uh, Chicken and Beer, the restaurant owned by Ludacris, named after his album Chicken and Beer. I, I hit up that place and I got every terminal but C. I didn't get to C. Like my my flight was leaving out of B and I I had to go do B, but Every other terminal, and I oh, and I didn't get to Terminal T, the um, where the like security gates are. But every other terminal, I went like up and down, right? So like the full full width and like back down, and uh, that's my personal best. I haven't done more than that in the Atlanta airport. Hopefully, at some point, I'll have an even longer layover. Like I would love to knock out the entire airport. That's a goal of mine, right there. Yeah, I actually I would... like the art in the tunnels. From what I remember, it's been a while, but like. Hartsfield Jackson, actually not that bad. Yeah. Uh, I would like to say I could not find a mini golf course in an airport, but Kamish near us in Buda, Texas, 
I found, quote, the world's first military museum and mini golf course. Mm. And it looks like the 18th hole might be like putting through the stat, one of the like, replica of the statue of the rising the flag at Iwo Jima. <laughs> so wait, I'm wait, thinking road trip with kids in Buda. Okay, that's not far away from no, me at it's, all. No, I'm saying it's not. I think that playing a round of golf there should be the academic equivalent of taking a high school civics course. I think so. If I were nearby, I would take my class there all the time. No, I mean, like, you can either take high school civics or you can go play mini golf there. Ideal. Anyways. Uh, do we want to talk about actual college football news? I suppose we should. Because Maybe, I don't, I don't know. Half an hour I, into our ostensible man. college football show. I mean, I, it's obvious that this is a college football show. I don't know is. why. I, I said something real stupid last time, guys. I said that finally, with with the Arizona job being set, the where I think it was being set. I'm not sure if they had hired San Jose State's coach at that point, but it was close. No, they hadn't. They hadn't. Said that so was, I was the last thing. I was like, there was one left. There's one left. And it, 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 it would be fine. Then they hired San Jose State's head coach. I'm like, okay, well, that's one more domino. But then, can then can fucking I, Alabama. Can I can I like call this like segment something? Yeah, go for it. And I don't know if Arthur does sound effects yet, but sure, um, sure he does. Can, you know, like you know the the crazy sound effect voice when I did like the quad box. Just yeah, the you, wettest you, reverb. The reddest. Usually, what I do for sound effects is like whenever you guys want a sound effect, you like imitate it and then i just think it's funnier to use whatever your imitation is rather than actually finding a sound effect and clipping it or doing any sort of like audio processing so nick saban retired right Mm -hmm. and so this is is started his nick saban's butterfly effect i want to i want to call this the nick saban retirement reverberations (laughs) Or I can or I can call it the retirement reverberations. <laughs> so either way, instead of collecting wayward coaches for their analyst staff, Kaylin DeBoer is now just hiring coaches, head coaches, and Commission I and all of us have had this thing of like, man, I really don't like it when G five coaches end up going to P five assistant jobs because the cash is better and because. That seems like the next logical step. But Kamish, who did who did they take? Who didn't they take? Oh, but no, I, I'll actually do that. So they they got the coach from South Alabama, Kane Womack, leaves South Alabama uh, the head coaching job at South Alabama after two like fantastic years. Yep, in Mobile, uh, essentially opening a brand new stadium in Mobile uh, with him as the head coach. I th- think that was the case um and and really i mean he just goes to be the defensive coordinator under uh kaylin DeBoer uh, in 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 upper alabama i guess in tuscaloosa so he goes from south alabama to the university of alabama leaves his post as a head coach to be a dc for uh, the, his his former co-worker at the university of indiana and Which, then, and then they weren't done. Uh, they then they got Maurice Linguist. My boy, my boy, Mo Linguist. It was a, okay. It wasn't a great year at Buffalo this year. No, but but he done well there. Yeah. 
So he's leaving to Buffalo, the head coaching job of the Buffalo Bulls, to to be a defensive assistant at Alabama. So the G5 has lost two head coaches, Sunbelt and Mack, respectively, to Alabama for coordinator positions. Now, I was trying to figure out like what the money was like to do this. And it's, it's significantly better. And it's just like, okay, Mo Linguist was making about 650K a year as Buffalo's head coach. Kane Walmack was making 810,000 uh, a year uh, for being the, uh, the Jaguars coach. And the DC last year, who was Kevin Steele, who's no longer with, uh, he was making 1.9 million to be the DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know what, exactly what Mo Linguist is getting paid. I, I think the details are still being worked out, but if it was like a co-defensive coordinator, to take place, uh, I believe it was Crawford that left to go to Georgia. That was about 850K. So if Mo Linguist gets that position, that's like a $200,000 raise uh, to not have to deal with the entirety of a head football coaching program. And, so to, and, to, and to theoretically be on a step for something bigger because yes, traditionally, if you're an Alabama assistant, that's your, that's your step you gotta, on being a head coach. Congratulations, new Florida head coach. Right. Oh, no linguist. Christ. Yeah. So it, it's it's just something that I don't know. It, it was kind of a little bit of an uh, a crisis in my mind that hit once, like two, got just tabbed up by like one big SEC staff. Now, the Alabama job doesn't necessarily open, and what we were talking about in the last podcast, the Alabama job didn't necessarily have people in waiting. The staff itself was kind of picked clean before, like, Saban left. Like, you know, I mean, Kirby was, you know, Georgia. Then you have, like, other, like, staff members in different head coaching spots all over the, the United States. There wasn't necessarily, like, Tommy Reese, who was making $1.9 by the way, uh, was not necessarily a head coach in waiting. Yeah. So they kind of had to reload the Saban school for wayward coaches uh, a little bit. And, and, but this time, instead of taking like people that got fired, they just took people that already had jobs. I'm with you here. Like we've talked, you we've, we've talked about this maybe on the podcast, but I know we've talked about this, the two of us and in chat that it starts to really bug me that the idea that we now have this idea that you have to do your time as a P five assistant to be a P five head coach that you can't go from G5 to P5 or, or the one that actually really bugs me the worst is the, you can't go from FCS to G5 or P5. Maddening. Like, like, like it drives me up the goddamn wall because we have plenty of examples of that working and plenty of examples of it not working, but it is, it tends to be, I, I hate, I hate simple like this. I think I said last time winners win mm-hmm. and coaches who run good programs, barring something weird, like taking a job at Auburn where, you know, the boosters start having revolts that chances Wrecking are your motorcycle with your girlfriend on it. I mean, I mean oh. like, like hey, they'll bring you back just, for that. They'll bring you, you talk about the that. boosters too. Texas was like that too, before Sark kind of uh, got still, it rolling. Still fucking is. I still, just, still just wait, are, for, bl- wait just, for a drop of blood in the water and they're pacified for the time being. Mm-hmm. I'll just say that. But like, I, I don't like this. I, I hate this idea because 
I think it undersells it once again, you know, this this dividing line that we're making that's clearer and clearer, and we do our best to blur that line and you know, all football is good football. We cover all the teams. We talk about everything like it's the same thing. We don't have a G5, P5 mentality when we talk because it's all it's all basically the same for us, but it doesn't change the fact that there's seen as this like the new stepping stone is yeah. do because the stepping stones used to be like you know, for a head coach in an AI school. Then you got like a D2 head coach. Then you got an FCS head coach. Then you got a G5 head coach. And like, it was a very head coach up and up thing. Where yeah. now, like, I'm all okay with it being like, okay, you can be an assistant somewhere. That's fine. And you get promoted. But we're we're limiting this thing. It's the same problem with like, oh, we'll just fucking hire a Nick Saban assistant. How many times did that work out? Georgia? Yeah. I mean, like, they've, Lane, they've won maybe? two national titles. Yeah. But like, but who well, else? Yeah. Lane, Lane? Sark, technically. Sark, technically. To the playoff, yeah. But but Sark was wayward coaches. Like Sark, yeah. Sark went, came up through the wayward co- coaches school. Yeah, he did. Well, so, I mean, I think that if you look at the uh, the coaches, like just overall, right? There are still examples mm-hmm. of coaches getting hired, right? I it was not this cycle, but last year, right? Stanford hired an FCS yep. head coach in Kansas, Kansas State. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. right. They're having a lot of success there, and so I would say that you know I'm I'm sure that there are still going to be situations where those jumps happen. There are still going to be situations. I mean, group of five head coaches have gotten coaching jobs this cycle, right? You look at uh, 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 what's his name? Brendan going to Arizona, Um, you know, Willie Fritz went to the power five. So that's always going to exist. What I think is really happening is I think this is a symptom of a much bigger issue in the group of five where it's just much, much harder now than it used to be to stand out, to build something that's really going to be good to the point of challenging like power five teams, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so much harder now because of things like the transfer portal. And there's been a lot of developments in college football in the past. Well, it's been happening for a long time, but it's, it's really become evident recently that have made conditions a lot more favorable for schools that have a lot of capital. Yeah. And so it's just that much harder for group of five coaches to stand out, to build something, to put something on their wrist. I mean, you look at like the big name group of five coaches that have, that got hired maybe five years ago. I'm thinking about, for example, Tom Herman at Houston going to Texas, like, he, that Houston team beat Oklahoma was ranked with, you know, people were talking about them, right? I mean, like Scott Frost at UCF, uh, Josh Heupel also at UCF. I mean, those, those UCF teams beat good power five teams. They had that high level of competition. I mean, obviously Luke Fickle at Cincinnati actually going to the playoff. Uh, you know, there's plenty of like Boise state head coaches that have gotten, gotten jobs guys like chris peterson well i guess brian harson didn't work out but he yeah, still got a job one. off yeah. the strength of that so like the problem right now well a uh, uh, the, those three aac schools that have all been good developing places for coaches they're not group of five schools anymore but there's just there's just not the schools out there that are kind of rising to that level i mean Tulane last year we saw them beating usc maybe that's the only example like their coach got hired there's just a lot fewer coaches now i think that are going to be in that position yeah i'd probably agree with that 
Yeah. Yeah. Overall, overall, I, I mean, I can, I can, I can see that. Uh, our folks in our Discord are actually uh, working on compiling uh, some some data on something like this to try to figure out what's what's going on. I mean, like you look at, you know, Florida A and M, their head coach, like he had to, he didn't get a head coaching job. <laughs> Like he went to be an assistant coach. North Dakota State's North- fucking head coach yes. is an assistant at mm-hmm. USC. Madness. What are we doing? What are we doing here, folks? I'm I'm because uh, Arthur mentioned five years ago. I pulled up the 2019 coaching carousel, and oh man, these are great times, guys. Remember when Matt Luke got fired for Lane Kiffin? Oh remember when, god. Remember when Mike Bobo got fired for Steve Adazio at Colorado State? <laughs> I'm just oh. horrified by the fact that 2019 is allegedly five years ago. Thanks yeah. for that. Uh-oh, call the time cops. Jean-Claude oh. Van Damme. Linear time. Oh, yeah, it this, was a mistake. Uh, yeah. This, no, oh, this we're going to we're going to we're going to do some research on that. All right, we're going to come up with some stats because it it's it's a gut feeling that we have right now and we really kind of want to make sure I guess the the data backs it up and uh, I know we're we're No, sickos, fuck but... that. No, no, we do this from the heart. We're not going to do data. No, we need data. No, I mean, we're sickos. We like to be accurate sickos. We're not, we're not necessarily, let's just make a list of things. Um, I I saw a post just like moments ago that crossed our feed, like the number, the top 10 stadiums in the SEC. Yeah. Like, oh, we're, we're, we're ready for that. We're off season, baby. I would love to like, just put like no contacts or like just 10 stadiums and just throw 10 stadiums. And don't put any reasoning for that. I mean, you give you give me one a year in the middle of summer where I'm allowed to do like top SEC coaches, and then like I make the really small font of like by random number generator or whatever. You give you give me one a year, so okay. I'll just I'll, I'll bookmark that for like July. Okay, you'll do it. Yeah, when when really everybody's desperate, like like July or, or June, it's just like oh, it's so close, but yet so far. Hey, hey, pick girl, you want to talk about Auburn hiring DJ Durkin? Wait, that happened? I thought it was just rumors. It is rumors as of Okay, right so now. it has not happened. Auburn is allegedly considering hiring DJ Durkin. Uh, listeners who are folks who listen to us who do not follow college football, we love you. Uh, DJ Durkin is the former head coach at Maryland. He was fired at Maryland in 2018 after being, regardless of what he knew or did not know or intentionally did or did not intentionally do, we do know that there was an incredibly toxic locker room culture at Maryland at the time and that there was a player who died. Jordan McNair. Jordan McNair, McNair, who died died of heat stroke and exhaustion while participating in a team workout in 2018. DJ Durkin was fired after that. And for some godforsaken reason, he has continued to get jobs in college football after a brief stint with the Atlanta Falcons. Auburn has already hired somebody incredibly embarrassing who does not reflect the Auburn creed, in my opinion, who should not be coaching college football, in my opinion, who very clearly does not care about the well-being of the greater campus community, Hugh Freeze. Uh, And this is also something really gross that you don't have to do. DJ Durkin, like Hugh Freeze, really doesn't have anything that amazing on the field to show for himself anyway. 
And even if he did, this isn't morally acceptable. Um, and I will wrap up this rant by quoting noted Twitter personality, Bitter Obby, quote, Hey, A.D. John Cohen and Auburn football, the list of football coaches more representable, more reprehensible than Coach Hugh Freeze is very short, but D.J. Durkin is definitely on it. Under no circumstances should you permit Auburn to hire him and be more morally bankrupt than we are now. Auburn, be better. Thank you. I will oh. take my serious hat off now. USC has also picked up a defensive coach, another they, defensive coach. They they are loading up on defense. They, you want fucking defense? We'll you give want you some defense. defense. You guys Sick made fun committee. of my fucking defense. You're not talking about my defense anymore. We're gonna we're gonna have you stop talking about how bad our defense is, and we're gonna go back to talking about how mad how bad my brisket was. Didn't we? <laughs> did we ever mention that USC has a bad defense? I can't remember. Or did I'm we never. just talk about Iowa? We just talk about Iowa. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, thanks. Also oh, quirky. They picked up Eric Henderson, who is last defensive line coach with the Rams. Uh, he was also defensive line coach with UTSA back in 2016. Interestingly enough, his total title is co-defensive coordinator, defensive line coach, and run game coordinator. Sure. Why not? Uh, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Does I hey Kamish, does Iowa have an de- offensive coordinator yet? No. Um they don't. Um uh, I, I wanna just let you know this this is very weird coincidence. So we our our podcast where we did the Iowa coordinator caucus thing came out today on Tuesday the sixteenth. Then Iowa had to issue a statement later on in the afternoon saying that uh, the wide receiver coach, uh, Kelton Copeland, was not retained by Kirk Ferentz. Uh, the defensive coordinator, Phil Parker, gets a raise to $1.9 million, He deserves which is, more than which that. Is, Holy shit. No, that's the highest paid coordinator in the in the P4, P2 right. that I'm aware of. Um, I, 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 there could be one that's paid more. This is one that I am aware of. Um, that's a $500,000 race. So he was making 1.4 last year and he got $500,000 more completely earned. Um, the assistant defensive coordinator, linebacker coach, Seth Wallace was also named an assistant head coach. Uh, and then they threw this in at the end of the Brett McMurphy tweet. Um, also search for an offensive coordinator is quote ongoing. And an announcement is expected in the near future. End quote. Um, Kirk, Kirk Ferentz, if you're listening to this podcast, I, I know, I know you listen, or maybe some of your staffers listen, um, hire, hire something crazy, just out of the box, do something weird, do something crazy. Don't do the same stuff. Do something weird, become, you know, an older gentleman who doesn't care about what is going to happen. Still play defense, awesome special teams with punters, but on the offensive side of the ball, just completely do the opposite of what you've been doing and just go insane. Go insane offensive, uh, offensively. I want them to call you like Riverboat Kirk. Uh, you know, just the gambler. Just go crazy, Kirk. Do it. I know you're listening. Somebody's listening. Y'all sent me a notepad. You know... I know somebody's listening. Somebody is listening with Iowa. I mean, we raised like $20,000 for Iowa City. Come on, Kirk. Do something crazy. Crazy Kirks. 
Last ride. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let's go nuts. Hey, Kirk. It's me, Beth. I have an idea for you. Hey, Jordan. Do you have time to be Iowa's offensive coordinator? Like, could you do everything involved with that job or would it kind of squeeze you? It'd squeeze yeah. me a little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, Pickerel, could you do that job or would it be kind of tricky with your schedule? It, w- it would be a little challenging scheduling. Okay. Kamish, how about you? Could you do it or would it kind of, or would it be tricky with your current schedule? Man, I quit my job and, and, and devote my life <laughs> to Kirk Ferentz. <laughs> it's true. Okay. I, so, I would, I would, I don't care. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to my wife. Like we're moving to Iowa city. <laughs> I, I so, am the Iowa office coordinator. <laughs> Let's go. So here's my thought. I don't have time to be Iowa's offensive coordinator, but I might have time to be one quarter of Iowa's offensive coordinator. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have time to be one quarter of Iowa's offensive coordinator? Sure. Oh, man. Potentially. Yeah. I'm, and if the salary is anywhere in like the six to $800,000 range, I feel oh. like we can make that work. We can split that four ways and be the happiest campers alive. There are four of us here that are like, holy crap, $200,000? Oh, yeah. oh my God. I mean, what, what was Brian making? Like nine hundred? Yeah, something or like 850? that. $850,000? Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. Look. You can Kirk, cut that down to six and I'll still do it. Uh, yeah. Six. So we get 150000 each. Done. To be the yeah. coordinators, and then we'll each 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 game we will uh, draw from hats which quarter we coordinate. Oh God, I was thinking about each game, but I love the idea yeah, of each quarter. The quarter coordinators. <laughs> so again, we got to make it count. I'm just imagining like the the terror in Iowa fans as they realize that like first quarter, okay. Well, there goes Kamish. That's going to be our okay. So that's done. Now, now it's oh, they drew Pit Girl for the second for the third quarter, and they're like, oh god, oh no, oh no, are we about to get fourth quarter Jordan? Oh no, four birds, <laughs> four, four birds. You need to kneel, Jordan. Four, oh, four birds. birds. <laughs> Bombs, bombs! I also have a mental image of the four of us all installing very different offensive patterns. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Like with one different, of us does vastly the different signals. Vastly one different of us does too. a run and shoot. One of us does air it. Like, I mean, we're the, the practices time that we have is just like it's gonna be, it's gonna be insane. The four four quarter coordinators. You'll you have know no idea what you're gonna get when you see the fullback a lot. Oh, yeah. Just imagine yeah. how hard it will be for the opponents to prepare right. for the committee coordinators. That's... You have no idea what's coming. You have no idea who's coordinating in the first quarter. Nobody in the second. Yep. You have no idea what's coming. And then we could all stand there in like different color. Uh, oh God! Like so you know, you Hawkeye. Like, like behind stuff. the screen thing. So like yeah, behind the, we could have different color like, like Hawkeye like sweatshirts. Like, like, and like, stuff. Rucker, like the Rutgers had the like, yeah. the wiggles. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Do, we'll do that. We'll all have different quarter ones, and and we could all stand there and signal. And nobody knows oh, who the coordinator is for that that's quarter. This is this is perfect. This the is coor- what the quarter co- coordinators. College students who are also going to class and sleep deprived and also drinking and you know having fun a lot definitely need four offensive playbooks to draw from. This is right. great. Sold. God. Okay. Yeah. Hey Iowa, we're running the veer. That's right. For a quarter, you are. <laughs> and then we're opening. Then we're opening it up. We're gonna open it up. And then guess what? T formation. Oh, yeah. Slot T, baby. Slot T magic. That's right. Finish it off. 
Other fun things. ULM mentioned this week, ULM's offensive coordinator is going to Campbell. Roll humps. Sorry. Just had the to ma- mention that, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I don't want to talk about Jim Harbaugh getting a Chargers interview or Bill Belichick oh. getting a fucking Falcons interview. Get, guess what? Jim Har- the fact that the Chargers just tweeted that out, though. Jim, I Jim Harbaugh. The Chargers were just like, yeah, we interviewed Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Guess what? Guess what? Jim Harbaugh just interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, can you imagine a worse back-to-back interview set than Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh? Oh my god! Like sitting in that room because like we've all been like hiring interviews and we've all had those people go in and we're just like after we're just like I I can't work with this person. <laughs> They've got to be just the oh my god that if if that's your back to back interview how many of the interviewers resigned immediately done I'm fucking done. <laughs> college is like when colleges hire head coaches they never put out like oh we interviewed this person do they no, I feel no, like no. that's not a thing like, I feel they don't like do in, that. in college they interview. I'll, like they interview people and then they make a decision and then they come out and say, this is the only guy we interviewed. Yeah. The, the yep. rule, the, the rule in college is basically you never offer unless it's like, it's like a sorority bit almost like you never offer unless you're sure someone's going to take it because the last thing you want is people finding out officially that you got turned down. There's always the rumor mm-hmm. but finding someone officially turned you down is heartbreaking. I'm trying to remember the last time that happened because I just remember us all being like, Oh God, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, there was something about Lance Leipold this year, turning down maybe the Arizona job, but like again, it was like uh, secondhand, secondhand, secondhand. It was not something you know for sure. Yeah, like nobody's sharing their meeting calendar in college. Right. Okay, let's do our special our our plugs as always. Join our Discord, our Patreon for five dollars a month. You get access to our Discord. You get access to our special podcast, which is Commission's Corner. You'll get access to Beth and I's thing once we get our schedule all lined up, where we'll talk about college fight songs, which I'm very excited about. So I had one in my head all day today, and it was The Victors. Yeah, that's been in my head. I, I think it's time. So then we also have our merch store at sigoscommittee.org. Message Board Geniuses Podcast are our friends. They go to Lord knows where we can go because I will not go to message boards. We have a YouTube channel. We have an Instagram at Sigos Committee. We have a Substack as well, where Kamish just released his essay, novel, travel log, short story, short story, travel log about his form. about long his. Form. Yeah, we do we do long form publishing now yeah. for his trip to Frisco and the FCS title game. It's in free verse, and then, fun. and uh, we also have something we're working on for that, which is the best season of all time for teams who stopped having a football team, which is something something else we do. Except yeah. this is going to be a lot longer because the research is much harder to do. Yeah, we so can't, this isn't as fast. We can't we can't pump it out as fast for like you know podcast episodes or anything like that. Uh, Kamish, so, do you want to um, do you want to tip your hand on who the first team is? Yeah, I do. Um, I I have a few aces up my sleeve of the Evansville Aces. So uh, yeah, definitely the Evansville Purple Aces uh, is the first. Uh, version of the let's see if I can do this. It is the boats boats was shaft. You damn right. Um, but yes, the best season of all time for teams who uh, don't have a football team. Uh, so it's a possibly sixty three part or more series. This so, is going to be a year long thing. This is going to be our fucking uh, Silmarillion. Okay. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if we're going to like pump we, these out once a week or whatever. If but we finish to the Substack, if we finish this. Fucking save your sources because this is going to be our book, okay? 
save your sources because we're going to have to go back and cite things. But this is going to be our book. Like this, <sighs> this is not, I mean, again, it's, it was kind of fun putting it together. Uh, Mish, Mish, have you ever heard of Zotero? No. We're going to have to get you a citation. We're going to have to get you a citation manager. Yeah. Okay. Sure. They want to cite me or. No, no, because, because if we're going to publish this as a book, which I, I all of a sudden had a really sick feeling in my stomach that this is actually going to be the book we publish, that uh, we're going to have to cite sources and we're going to need a bibliography. And of all, oh, I track of all of our things. I tend, <laughs> I tend to do it in the, the thing because uh, I tend to do it in each one is like where I got stuff from. I, I, I tend to cite it, but I don't cite it in like APA format or whatever. No, it's fine. Like, we we we, we got we, we have flunkies here. for that. We have flunkies for that. That's no, perfect. we're all our citation wrangler. So I'm going to cite an MLA. I'll cite an APA. Oh no, I don't Who's remember Chicago? what I, my master's Chicago. like. Chicago no, no. is the only acceptable in, citation. In, li- in line citations, baby. Okay. Citation. In line citations. Wait, Oops. hold on. It's someone doing Turabian. Someone should do Turabian. Oh, we'll do that. Okay. Football is a sport. Twenty citations. <laughs> Jesus Christ! The opening, the opening of my made my dissertation was something like music anxiety is a common issue amongst musicians. Twenty citations. <laughs> First paragraph. Of the citations. Oh, yeah, they have to be. I have to do. I have to do APA. Ew, music, gross, education, yeah. education requires APA. Nope. Chicago forever. Thank you. Anyways. I wanted to give a. I wanted to give a shout out to a, a commenter on the commission's championship circuit. Somebody by the name of Dick Friedman, who who read my uh, long form story, uh, he says you should establish a Heisman type award honoring your wife. So basically, because she allowed me to do the Pocatello pilgrimage, and along this this drive in one day, I just replied back to him, the Wifesman. Uh, so yes, my my wife has won the Wifesman, uh, and, and you, Dick you said, "Oh man." Now. Oh man, that is genius. I tell you, genius. And I just sent the screenshot to my wife. I said, you you won the first Wife's Men Award. So congratulations on allowing me to be uh, the commish and do these silly, ridiculously college football related things that somebody my age should probably not be doing. But, you know, again, midlife crisis. I could have bought a convertible. No, I became the commish of the Sickos Committee. And then lastly, as always... If you like soft collegiate apparel, go to Homefield. Homefield has amazing things that we absolutely love and wear all the time. And they just dropped some excellent Michigan championship gear and some really great NC State, like the wolf, like NC State horny wolf gear, which I really like. I love horny wolf. Uh, One of the only schools that uses like the Sailor Cap logo is their primary logo. And I really appreciate that. Thank you, NC State. Are going to have their King Spud stuff coming out this week too. Thursday, so, I cannot wait. I am going to blow up the timeline with King Spud stuff, and and I'm I got to email Homefield. I was like, I, I need a King Spud shirt like now. Can yep. can I see it now? I can't wait. What about now? Can I, how about now? Can I see it now? I, I I don't care. Like I am getting the King Spud shirt. I don't like. I don't even know what it looks like. It's sold already. Like as soon as it 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 drops, uh, it's in my cart and it, it is sold immediately. And then if you're buying for the first time, use our offer code. Yes. Ha ha ha. Yes. That's three Haas for 15% off your first order. 15, Y'all one five. 15, five. Yes. Y'all. I want to bring us to our newest feature. Last yeah. season, we did the best seasons of all time for teams who are below 500 all time. And this year we are doing either a 24 or 25 part series. I still got to check some math because of fucking like vacated things. And like, it's hard to 
Yes. Look, look, when there are centuries of games, it's hard to get the math correct. Okay. I'm going to have that problem mm-hmm. today. Counting is our passion. It really is. We're calling this the worst season of all time for teams who are above 600 all time or what's up to was 600 at. Wow. Got some Waluigi in there. And I said last season we did this as a way to look at a lot of our favorite teams because these are teams that were have, you know, have traditionally not been at the very top, but they have great seasons. We want to talk about them. This is different. These are teams we don't talk about a lot yet. Now we're going to, and I want this to be sort of a memento mori thing. Okay. Cause you know, back in the day, if you had your, your Roman triumph, you came into the city, you had someone sitting behind beside you or behind you going, you know, what was what was memento mori actually mean? Remember you will die. Remember you will die. Thank you. And this is, I want for all these teams who are like, we've won 950 games. You had an 0 and 10 season. It can always go back to there. You too can be at the bottom again. So this is your memento mori. I'm sorry. That's pretty creepy. What up now, Pompey the Great? Right. Uh, what if, what if we just decided to look at it? And so I thought like this, those seasons that maybe buried in the past, but are just bad. And we're going to start with Alabama today. <laughs> Alabama, who has been the big juggernaut, who has been, you know, since Nick Saban retired or died, because it feels like a lot of people are treating it like he died. Uh, SEC Shorts, who I love the, their little comedy things, at the end this year had a poignant moment akin to when Mike Leach actually died, but for Nick Saban. It was a poignant moment, but again, Nick Saban's alive. Just reminding you guys that. Alabama's overall record all time is probably around 965 wins, 337 losses, and 43 ties for a winning percentage of about 73.3%. This makes them third all time behind Michigan and Ohio State, who are like almost neck and neck at this point. Uh, this might not be the case. I have lots of different numbers, but the 965 number for wins is the one I see the most. And if we ask our good friend Craig, who is the uh, Sickos Committee ombudsman and Michigan fan, he'll tell you how hard it is to actually keep track of a century plus of wins and what actually counted as a football game back in the day. Kamish, you have some honorable mentions for uh, Alabama worst teams? I do. Um, and now these are some of the Alabama teams um, that, that came close, but, you know, not necessarily the winners here. So I want to give a shout out to Mike Dubose, Alabama, in 1997. They were 4-7. and um, In 2000, they were 3-8. and eight. So that's really not too far ago. Um, also, shout out to 4-9 with Mike Shula in 2003. I do want to give a shout out to their other two winless seasons for Alabama. 0-4 uh, in 1893 and 0-4 in 1895. So... But- in, in that 1890, the 1893 season, I believe, they played teams that like are just like are laughable, like the Birmingham Athletic Club and someplace called Auburn. You can't count those. Can't, can't count it. No, definitely can't. They still can't. went 0-4. Yes, they did. They did. So this is, this is kind of a weird series. And, you know, again, it's a 24-part series. We like to celebrate the best season of all times for the – the folks that don't necessarily have one, but we're, we're trying to do the opposite and let's see how this goes because 
Um, I, I I'm kind of fascinated to see the top teams in the history of college football when they have their their down moments in in how bad the down moment was and what it led to. Which this this led to something very good. This this led this definitely led to something that. You know, worked out for Alabama. I'm just going to say that. So um, we we can start here. I do want to give a shout out to the name of the coach, right? Well, so let's back up before we do that. Okay, let's do it. So here's what happens. We're going, we're heading into 19, the late 40s, early 50s in Alabama at football. And Coach Harold Drew has led the the tide from 47 to 54. In 53, they, they go to the Cotton Bowl. They're ranked first in the SEC. They lose the Cotton Bowl. That's fine. At... The year before that, they win the Orange Bowl, ranked ninth in the country. In 54, they go 4-5-2, and, and they fire his ass. So, again, at Alabama, never good enough. You know what's funny about 1953 Alabama? They were 6-3-3, and and they're also one of the subjects of one of my Patreon podcasts. Oh, shit, they are. They are, they have three yeah. ties. So the 1953 Alabama Crimson Tide. Always. They were, oh, God, we're doing this shit again where everything circles back. Oh, God. It does, right? So they were 6-3-3. and three. There were 4-0-3 oh, in the SEC. So they won the SEC. But undefeated in the SEC, but three ties with LSU, Tennessee, and Mississippi State. So, Kamish, who do they hire next? So, uh, after uh, they fire the coach uh, in 1954, which is kind of, it's like they they almost had this guy uh, signed up here. So, oh, by the, the way, Clemson, that, uh, Her- uh, that guy hung on as Alabama's track coach for another 10 years. <laughs> Harold Drew stayed yeah. the track coach, but he was out as football coach. Amazing. Yeah. So, he resigned as head coach of the Crimson Tide on December 2nd, uh, and then during uh, he had a winning record of, of 54, 28, and 7. Um, they won the one conference title, and they played in three bowl games. Fire's uh, on the day of his resignation, they already had the replacement. Jennings B. Whitworth uh, was introduced as the successor on the very same day. I mean, I can't believe. I don't know. Has, has that happened much? Like they fire one coach. No, usually you don't get them lined up like that. I mean, it's like, hey, we're firing you, and here's the new guy. Like in the same press conference, it feels like has that happened much in history? Maybe I don't kids, know. Kids, kids, we're getting a divorce. Here's your new dad. <laughs> <laughs> he's cool. He's he's got a cool nickname. But no, uh, basically, he was from Oklahoma State, uh, which was Oklahoma A and M at the time. Uh, you, you think he was good at, at Oklahoma um, A&M, right? Uh, maybe not. He was 22-27-2 and two yeah, at Oklahoma okay. A&M. He, only, he had two winning seasons uh, for Oklahoma State. Uh, in 1953, they were 7-3. and three. Uh, They won the, uh, I believe, was that the uh, Southwest? Conference. Was that the Missouri- Southwest? Missouri Valley Conference. Missouri Valley. Okay, so they weren't in the Southwest Conference, no. Um, and then in 1954, he was five, four, and one. Uh, finished third in the Missouri Valley. Um, never, like, oh. never, never beat Oklahoma the whole time there because the one thing that's constant is yeah. that unless you're fucking Pappy Waldorf, you Pappy Waldorf, beat, you cannot beat Oklahoma Pappy. consistently. No. So uh, this gentleman, uh, Jennings B. Whitworth, had a lovely nickname. 
His name was Jennings Brian Ears Whitworth. You look at the pic, you can see why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> throw that throw that in the chat. Already please. did. Already oh, did. okay. There's another one in the other doc, in the main doc. Yep, got both of them. Scroll up. Yes. So so Jennings Brian Jennings Brian. <laughs> Who was, who was, I believe, named for William, Gen William Jennings Bryan since he was born in one of William Jennings Bryan's election years, of which there were several. I'd say, like, yeah. that's going to narrow that down a lot. You also, like, there's no way that you name your kid Jennings Bryan and it's not after the one that everyone. I'm just knows imagining, about. like, that's, that's you naming your kid Gordon Biden. Yeah. Smith. <laughs> Why you do that? Don't do Why that. Why you do that? Don't do that. At all, but. So, from 1950 to 54, as I mentioned, it compiled the 22-27-1 record. Um, he was head coach of Alabama from 1955 to 1957. Um, he posted a record of Alabama at <laughs> four, 24 and two in Ooh, three years. Like, like that's they they kept him after the zero and ten, and then let him go two seven and one twice afterwards. Yes, the worst record for any non interim coach in school history. That included this year. We're talking about the winless nineteen fifty five. Uh, also, also this was Mama Collin because he was an Alabama grad. Yep. He like played at Alabama, so Mama's Collin, and they called right. J B Whitworth all the way from Stillwater to Tuscaloosa. He could definitely hear the call with those ears, <laughs> uh, but. Sorry, I had to do it. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, dude, dude, this dude is a. Uh, I, I think the bigger it, worry was when the wind came sweeping down the plains and he fell over. Yeah, mm. that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, these ears definitely earned their nickname. So, uh, the 1955 season, uh, which is Alabama's last winless season on the field to date, uh, and then a 14 game losing streak from 1955 to 1956. Uh, in his first year at Alabama, Whitworth was only allowed to hire two of his own coaches and forced to retain the rest of former coach uh, Harold Drew's assistants. Broke boys. So, I, I don't know. This included athletic director Hank Crisp, Whitworth's boss, who was in charge of the defense. So the AD was the defensive hey. coordinator. Oh, oh, oh. Who, what's, what's, what's her name at Iowa? Oh. Beth uh, Gentz. Beth, Beth, Beth Gentz. How do you feel yeah. about being offensive coordinator? It, it, it could happen. See, I was thinking that this had like real Barry Alvarez energy. Oh, this is extreme Barry Alvarez energy. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. just going to come down and get right with the team. Yeah, let's play around some. Let's play some ball, guys. Yeah. So uh, he could only get two of his assistant coaches that he was allowed. Uh, so he brought. His assistant coach, Moose, Moose Johnson, not the fullback for the Dallas Cowboys, Moose Johnson. Um, the other Moose Johnson. The other Moose Johnson, which, I mean, I didn't know there was another the, Moose Johnson. The until ancestral now. Moose Johnson. <laughs> Moose Johnson, 1964, not Moose Johnson, 1966. <laughs> this is Howard T. Moose Johnson. Apparently, he was also assistant athletic director at Oklahoma State. So he has two assistants. <laughs> Coaches yeah. that were also athletic directors. Oh my god, I love this so much. Oh. Uh, so, following successive two and seven, uh, two seven and one seasons in 1956 and 57, Whitworth was fired with that overall record of four twenty four and two, and he was replaced by Bear Bryant. Who? 
Bear Bryant. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, There's some guy. It's always darkest before the dawn. We, we got a moose guy. We got a bear, bear guy. Right now. What are we doing? We got a moose. We got a bear. Oh, our first appreciation episode. That's cool. We yeah. got a Hank Crisp. You know, I, I saw a bluey fursuit and it really fucking weirded me out. Like Blue's dad, Bandit. But in a, like, like it's clearly a fursuit and it weirded me out. How sexy was it? Too much. <laughs> As, apparently, he's a really nice dude. Everyone in the comments of this Twitter thread was like, no, he's actually a super nice dude. It's great. Like, he's not creepy or weird at all, but it's clearly a fursuit. I will say that for this guy, they were excited to have him come. I'm going to read from the student newspaper. Yep. Wednesday morning at freshman convocation, Whitworth received one of the warmest ovations we've heard in many a year for a coach. After he got through talking, and quite frankly, there was even stronger applause. This and other indications made us believe that win, lose, or draw, cheering and spirit at the games would be at all-time high. It is a Bama renaissance, or rather, a Whitworth renaissance, dawning over campus, and it's moving us into a great new era. Dude, I, I want to, can I tag Old Takes Exposed? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I totally want to do I mean, it. It was moving them into a great new era. It, essentially, but three years later with Bear Bryant. <laughs> you I wanna... didn't give you a time frame. I mean, also, great for whom? I'm sure Auburn really enjoyed this. Oh, I, I think these, they did. These were year. Auburn's. This was an Auburn high point. Many oh, yeah. of these years were Auburn high points. Mm-hmm. For real. Uh, uh, also, apparently, they did not know it was to come because they also announced that the Tide would wear tan pants instead of white, which they had worn for the past two years. The pants... And pads only weighed 22 ounces. That was in the paper for some reason. Oh, that's because the weight matters. Yeah, we're, right. We're back to we're back to just Kamish. We we have to reacclimate to our offseason ways. Kamish, who yeah. was their quarterback? Who was uh, their star? Who was their star? It was Bart Starr of the Green oh. Bay Packers. Oh my, oh my god. god, that guy. Wow. Of player I'm sure he coach. played a lot, right? So it turns out that uh, Whitworth wanted to bring in a new offense. <laughs> and Bart Starman's supposed to be senior year riding the pine. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So Whitworth, his new system was more oriented towards the running game because Bama wanted to run the dang ball. As a result, senior quarterback Bart Starr and the other tied seniors saw little playing time. Whitworth, for his part, um, again, wanted to implement this system and basically a future Hall of Fame quarterback on the bench, essentially for, for the entire season of his senior year. Yeah, and he did, not, he did not get uh, a redshirt year or COVID year or, uh, you know, uh, grad I, transfer, I, anything like that. In the chat, I dropped a picture of the three quarterbacks they had to choose from. I want you to guess which of those three was the one that ended up with the most yards on the ground. We have Albert Elmer, Bart Starr, and Clay Walls. Clay Walls. Mm-hmm. Yep, Clay Walls. Yeah, with the weirdest fucking face you've ever seen, Clay Walls was their man. He was he a, looked, he was he looked a the runniest. He was a sophomore. He hadn't Dude, taken I, a snap until the fourth game. God, Bart Starr's throwing motion. Oh, look at that. It's so My, good. It is. Oh, Dude, phenomenal. He's got the ball like wound up like directly behind his head. It looks like he's about to run the Statue of Liberty play, but he's not. That is the most like, (laughs) that is, that is yeet. Like that is what that word is. I would like to 
start this autopsy by giving you some stats of the living. Uh, Alabama in 55, they scored 48 points in 10 games. Their opponents scored 255. Well, there's oh, no. Alabama, Alabama rushed for 1,000 yards ish. Their opponents rushed for 2,500. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Alabama had 15 interceptions. Hold on. Hold on. No, no, no. Alabama had 833 yards passing, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, their opponents only had 607 yards passing. So Whitworth's offense was a lie. Because <laughs> well, so, about halfway through the season, he panicked and switched. Yeah. Just switched to whatever they called in 55, the spread offense. <sighs> they called it spread. I assume it had two tight ends. Um, yeah, maybe like the two tight ends, like a little bit outside the tackle boxes yeah, away maybe, from like two steps away. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. By spread, we mean that your uh, your blocking fullback is going to make a motion like he's spreading butter on bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so they started passing the ball more. That didn't mean, however, that they had 15 of their passes intercepted. They did punt for 2,300 yards, which is more than their opponents, 1,800 yards. Uh, they lost 22 fumbles this year. And y'all, there are multiple four fumble games we're going to talk about. Yeah. See, there's those on, eyes right there. It's hold on, crazy. hold on. Let me see here. Let me let me do some quick math. So 1,045 rushing yards, 833 passing yards. That's 1,878 yards. They punted for 2,300. They yes. punted for 2,300 yards. Punting is winning. Punting is winning. Mm-hmm. Um, if you even add the penalty yards yeah. to the punt, uh, I'm sorry, to the offense, it's still more punting yards. Jesus Christ. This this was bad. Uh, What's hurting my brain is the passes completed in a season. <laughs> 80. Oh, 80. And again, this is after they opened it up. <laughs> That's spread offense. I don't... Uh... Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. 80 passes completed for 838 yards. That's almost like, you know, 10 yards of completion there. Uh, Bart Starr did pass for 387 yards this season. Oh, my sorry. gosh. No, sorry, 587. It's hard to read this one scan. So, so no. more than half of it, even though he rode the pine. Yeah. They, they, mm-hmm. they basically were running a two to three quarterback system at some point. It was, it was amazing. Uh, I, I'd like to introduce you to, if you guys remember that we have these characters that come up in these things, these sports, these, these sports writers. Uh, yes. Who is the his, main character of the podcast tonight? Uh, his name is Bill Smith. And, and Bill wants to talk about, well, the first game we'll just start with uh, Alabama zero rice 20. This was in Houston. This is a quote unquote, good rice team. Uh, Bill Smith says, there's only one way to analyze Alabama's performance against Rice. They simply ran out of gas. The Rice reserves flowing in constantly were too much for the tired Crimson Tide. Once the Owls had pierced the Tide defense for the first touchdown, the next two were easy. Alabama played a tremendous three quarters, but what happened in the final period was expected. They did not have the experience or depth to cope with the more talented Rice squad. That's a fun sentence to say because through through three quarters, it was 0-0. Yes. Then Rice dropped 20 on him in the fourth. I would like to take this moment to remind the listeners that Rice is undefeated against Alabama. That's correct. Yes. This was their second win. 
against Alabama. They can account on roll Bama roll, roll so badly and just clip that quote and just put it there with no context and leave. Oh well, the, no, even even better. Hey Beth, in the document, mm-hmm. the, the the 1955 Alabama document, top of page mm-hmm. eight, will you read that little quote right there? Hang on, I gotta find. Ah, oh, there we That's go. Fine. All of the coaches. And the 1,400 Alabama fans who attended the game were satisfied with the team's performance. Quote, what some people forget is that Rice is one of the best teams in the country. End quote. <laughs> Naylor Stone, sports editor of the Birmingham Post-Herald, said. Empty-ass stadium? 1,400 fans? Even Pitt does better than that. Come on, Alabama. They're having to make excuses for like, like losing to Rice. You had fewer than few t- than two teal colleges in the stands. Yeah, this and this was at this was in Houston, so everyone was. Yeah, this is. You know, that's a long trip for a game. Apparently, I'm just I, in my head, my dad brain, Falkland's warhead mm-hmm. uh, right now. Th- there's 1,200 inhabitants on the Falkland Islands, uh, so there was only 200 more <laughs> in the Alabama. The Alabama section. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then we go on. To, well, also, by the way, uh, Alabama lost four fumbles in this game. We start the, we start the process. Then Vandy, game two. Vanderbilt 21, Alabama six. This was the closest they get to winning a game this year. Oh, boy. Points. Points. Uh, did, Al- did Alabama fumble four t- give up four fumbles again? You're damn right they did. You're Vandy damn al- right. Vandy also had three passes intercepted. This was not a great football game. There were 17 passes attempted in this game by both teams. And three of them, three Vanderbilt passes went into Alabama hands and they still lost the goddamn game. Yes, they had more interceptions than completions. (laughs) That would be three interceptions and two completions. There were two for nine. That can't happen. With three INTs. Oh, Vandy, I love you. I always love Vandy. And it won 21 to six. So this is bad. And yeah. and our, our, our good friend, Bill Smith, writes in the newspaper, Alabama made an F in a test <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> now they are faced with the bleakest outlook in their long and illustrious career. Bandy's 21-6 victory cast a gloomier spell over the tide than may be apparent on the surface. For example, study these statistics for a minute. Alabama is windless in eight games. The last victory was last year at Tennessee. In that period, the Tide has only scored 20 points while yielding 124. They have not been able to score more than one touchdown in any of these games. The Tide has actually lost five straight games, the most in history. It would get worse. Two other games were scoreless deadlock. And what's even worse is that TCU Team Saturday has mauled three foes in an awesome manner and should be uh, should win the game against Bama by three to four touchdowns unless a miracle is wrought by Coach Ears Whitworth this week. Was a miracle wrought? 21-0. Oh, no. (laughs) There was no miracle for Coach Ears. In Tuscaloosa. This was a home game. Welcome home, Wit. There were celebrations. And TCU won 21-0. I got some notes on this one. Go for it. So, um, I don't want to skip ahead to the one before that, but uh, eh, the one after that. I'm sorry. Yeah. this was their last time being shut out at home until 1990. Yee. What happened in 19, what, 1990? In 1990, Penn State's defense accomplished something that had not been done oh on Alabama's God. home field. 
in 35 years at Bryant-Denny Stadium where Alabama lost only two games during the 25-year reign of the late Coach Bear Bryant. 5-2 Five and two, Penn State blanked Alabama nine nothing on three field goals by Craig Fayek. Uh, the tide fell to three and four, and they had not been shut out uh, since 1955 when TCU won 21 nothing, uh, which was three years before Bear Bryant took over. I know, I know, it's hard to believe for the younger people who listen to this podcast or even are on this podcast, but there was a time when Penn State was not a third tier Big Ten team and was in fact a murder team. Um, Nineteen ninety was independent Penn State, wasn't it? Yes, yes, uh-huh. yes. Yeah. It, it when Penn State chose to join a conference, uh, it destroyed their superpowers, and they have never returned. Did Alabama fumble four times to TCU? Hell yeah, they did. Yes, they did. Alabama threw eight passes, one completed, and one intercepted. Perfectly balanced. As all things should should be. be. That's right. Five turnovers. Yeah. uh, This this was just, again, a mauling. Nine yards passing. Uh, Another thing from the newspaper, Coach Whitworth was honored Saturday as the only alumni who's returned to Alabama as head coach in modern football. It's when Coach was, Whitworth Day. It's Coach Whitworth Day. When, when he when he was announced at halftime, he said he was quote humble and grateful. After a perceptible pause, he said, "I always seem to choke up at times like this. Thanks a lot." Alabama's million dollar band saluted his career in intricate halftime patterns, which I assume was block and also uh, pass through. It's probably like a U and an A involved. No, somewhere. no, that not in fifty five, man. No, Al- okay. Al- Alabama would have been doing like just up and down the field pass throughs. Yeah, they okay. hadn't figured out how to do curves yet. Okay. Yeah, something incredibly racist. Oh, well, I'm, I'm cutting some. Yes. Yeah, we, we cut out those newspaper articles there. <laughs> okay, we're on to Tennessee. They beat Tennessee last year. Nope. 20 to zero in Knoxville. Hey, nope. one point better than last week. Uh, a, a guy by the name of Johnny Majors at oh Tennessee, <laughs> at Tennessee uh, beat the shit out of them. I Sorry. forgot, I forgot about that. that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, the 1955 Bama was shut out in three of their first four games. Jesus Christ! Uh, again, Alabama fumbles three times, throws one interception on nine attempts, five completions this time. They're getting better, getting better, and still manage twenty to zero. Okay, that's fine. Homecoming is up next. Yeah, you get they Mississippi. Got it. You get Mississippi State for homecoming. Okay, totally, you got this. This will be fine. 26 to 6, Mississippi State wins. Not that is scored for homecoming. I would like you guys to look at a picture I have in the document. It's page 13. Actually, I'll just drop it in the chat because it's hard to get through this document. It's a great little bit from the newspaper called Whitworth Suffers Mixed Emotions During Alabama Game. And it is a it is a sea of humanity and faces. He does not look like a happy man. Oh my goodness. I can imagine some fucking like kid recorder. Again, it's 55, so the camera is giant. Yeah. It's not quite flash powder, but it's pretty fucking big. And the coach is on the sideline getting his ass kicked by Mississippi State. And you just hear, kachunk, kachunk. Yeah, they were down. I just like imagining this collage as the 1955 version of a fan cam. Yes. So which which stage of grief is which? I, I think the second one is bargaining. Top left, it looks like acceptance to me. Okay. Anger is top right. Yeah, I I'm think. seeing that too. Yeah, top right. That's definitely anger. Mid- middle bottom bargaining? Yeah. Sadness. Sadness. Which one's denial? 
I, th- I I think denial is the one with him staring at the fucking 14 to zero scoreboard. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds about right. And then there's a mystery sixth stage of grief that it took Alabama to invent. So this is for this game though. He switches it up. They threw 27 passes this game. This Whoa. is where the, the Alabama spread kicks in. They completed 14 of those 27 passes and the newspaper acts like he's fucking reinvented the wheel here. Also great. He did not really believe in a permanent starting lineup because at this point, no two games had ever had the same starting lineup. He kept switching people in and out and he had certain teams like the yellows, the blues and the whites. I imagine that. And, (sighs) and, and they had basically, they were pulling like little pieces in and out the whole time. So no game started the same people. And this was part of the problem, but he did kick into more of a spread. Oh my God. He invented, he invented the co-coordinators. He did. They were like all of us. He was changing it up. Nobody knew what to expect. And did it work? No. See, Iowa, it will be fine. It's really work at Iowa. I promise it'll work. We'll, we'll do it. Pay us 150 grand each. We got it. The newspaper was not kind to him on this. Uh, basically reminding him that, quote, most students have resigned themselves to a winless season, but football is a sport that can be changed overnight. The tie could come up with that perfect game everyone has been hoping for and surprise one of their opponents. Listener, it did not happen. <laughs> there was no surprise. Yes. Uh, from the yearbook, Wal- Walls, uh, this is Walls, the goofy face quarterback, completed 8 of 15 passes for 86 yards, engineered the new tied spread formation displayed by Coach Witt for the first time. Uh, also about this game, in five games, the Tide has now lost 18 fumbles, which must be close to a conference record and had had four passes intercepted. Why, is, why has this happened? Well, that's so maybe they said maybe the players are too excited. Maybe it's over eagerness. Maybe it's the way they hold the ball. (laughs) I love the quote immediately after this. Every game this season can be likened to a phonograph record with a chipped out spot on the disc that keeps the needle from advancing. The revolution repeats itself over and over. That's so good. That's such good sports writing. So good. It's good. There's some good stuff there. And that's that's so brutal. Like, I mean, maybe they're too eager to fumble the ball. Oh my god! When 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 you've lost the school paper and they're just <laughs> opining. I mean, this, this this has never happened in Alabama history, really. So like this 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 year is something that you know we get to really see how they react to something this that happens, happen. especially nineteen fifty style. Though this could happen again to you, Alabama. This could happen to you again. Two bad coach hires, and you're at 0 and 12. Memento Mori. Vanderbilt running up points on you. Vanderbilt Ooh. comes for us all. Sorry. Vander- Vanderbilt is the fucking Grim Reaper, is something I need to make. Vanderbilt as Terry Pratchett's death, specifically. Yes. Uh huh. All caps, Vandy. <laughs> but small, all caps. He's just a tiny guy. Yeah. Vandy's polite. Next up, they play Georgia 35 to 14. This is a sign of brilliance, they say, because they had two scoring drives in one game. That had <laughs> not happened yet. Hadn't happened yet. They got 14 points. Fell apart and gave up five TDs to Georgia in the defense, though. Well, you know, they got over-eager by scoring a lot of points. They forgot to play the defense. 19 yards rushing. <laughs> I love how they just completely abandoned everything 
And I was like, yep. fine, we're just going to pass now. Like, there was what, two games ago, they only ran, they only passed for nine yards. Now it's just like, there's only 19 they, yards. They only fumbled once, though. They did, however, That's... throw four interceptions. Oh. <laughs> I, like the, I like the line item for that, too. It's passes had intercepted is the way that this is described in the book. <laughs> Thank God, because we always confuse it on here. I, how many times have I said the wrong thing? At least this That's one's true. very clear about it. Yeah, this was the quote-unquote the brilliant game. Uh, it was brilliant. I, I would like to read again from Bill Smith. Prolonged losing streaks are an enigma to all coaches, but they are a necessary evil and must be endured. When two teams play and count the score, someone must lose. Few coaches ever spend a career at their heavy cope. Without suffering windless periods, some long and some short. No team has ever been on the winning side of the ledger all the time, although some have made a habit of winning. <laughs> Uh, I like that this was written like in the relatively short period before Bear Bryant arrived too. Yes. Mm-hmm. How about this? this I'm video- sure. I'm sure he went on to be a very well-adjusted booster. Oh, I. Oh, you know he was just. Uh, another quote from him: "The speed at which the tide slipped into its coma has been the subject of much talk this year. Many fans have wondered why Alabama's plight hasn't been a more carbon copy of other leading football powers who take a slight dip and then rise to football prominence again." Broke boys. Um, you know, sometimes the it's low tide for the Crimson Tide. <laughs> I, I love the thing immediately below this, too, because this is from 1955, <laughs> and I saw something similar to this on Twitter today about the Steelers. Quote, most outstanding football schools, when they go on a losing streak, will lose four or five games for a couple of years and then bounce to the top, a Tide fan said recently while surmising the outlook. Football takes are eternal. Yep. <laughs> So, speaking of waves, a wave comes crashing in. They play Tulane next. Tulane 27, Alabama 7. The beatings will continue until morale improves. Greenwater versus Redwater. Greenwater uh, wins. As Kamish would prefer. Uh, also, by the way, this game, this season was one of those seasons that, uh, that Alabama played in three different stadiums throughout the year. They played in Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, and Mobile. Yeah. So this was the mobile game. Yeah. Uh, so basically almost kind of making it an easier road trip for Tulane. Because mobile is o- like maybe two, two and a half hours away from New and Orleans. O- and only 17,000 people showed up to watch this game, guys. Yeah. Think about that number. 17,000 people to watch an Alabama game. Like even in this era, they were at, at home. We're hitting 25, 26, 17,000 in mobile. Yeah, this this did not go well for for it was, Alabama hey, yet again. It's okay. Eleven I, yards of rushing. Uh, Alabama was was tied with Tulane seven seven at halftime. How did it finish? Twenty seven seven. Oh, okay. The second half. The second time. half did happen. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Alabama's second half woes continue. They only uh, threw two interceptions this time. On twenty two passes, that's getting way better. No fumbles. Nope. Yeah. Next, my favorite headline: Spread play jazzes offense. We are just reaching now. Yes. This offense is the uh, this the offense is a spread play uh, in which all of its octopus armed. Oh, I can't read it. Oh, I can't. Oh man, this cut off. Never mind. I'll have to find the, the actual. The octopus wrong. arms were cut off. Yeah, apparently so. Jesus Christ! There's a roving end being used now. He is spread out from the line to the tenor. 
from 10 or 20 yards and alternates on virtually every play from one side to the other. The halfbacks are often spread out almost as far, almost as wide. So they have one dude about 10 yards out. The spread spread. play is taking on more ramifications every week. Bill Leviat, play-by-play announcer of the Tulane Network, says it is the most, quote, razzle-dazzle offense he has seen in several years. I'm, okay, I got to read this again. So it says, a roving end is now being used. He is spread out from the line. I'm assuming this is on offense. Yes. From from 10 to 20 yards and alternating virtually on every play. He's a wide receiver. He's He's just just a wide receiver. (laughs) Yes. This is what their fucking magic was. It was a wide receiver. One dude. The the halfbacks are often spread out almost this far. So... Mm -hmm. So we got some tight ends and we got a wide receiver. So it's like, I'm just imagining like a punt formation. A phalanx, if you will. Yes. But like on offense. So like there's the quarterback, let's say under center. Then you have a running back 10 yards to your left behind you. Yes. And then you have another running back 10 yards to your right behind you. So you can pitch it. You can pitch it. This is okay. This is madness. But I mean, I mean, he's, he's reaching. He is reaching. So at this, at this point, this is the first time in Alabama history. They've ever lost seven games in a season. And I, it, I had to look at number two for a couple of seconds before my brain remembered that ties exist. Now, it also extended Alabama's losing streak to 10 and windless streak to 13. They had not seen a win. Alabama had not had a winning game in 13 games across two seasons, and it would get worse. Again, Bart Starr was starting to see some play now, but man, they loved Clay Walls. <laughs> Goofy ass Clay Walls was out there. So then Georgia Tech. <gasps> they did it. Georgia Tech, 26 to 2. They got a safety alert. <laughs> Safety alert on the podcast. This is my favorite. This is my favorite game because they found balance. 108 yards passing, 134 yards rushing. Surely they won by 90. Oh, oh, by the way, back in that game against Tulane, which was played in uh in Mobile, Alabama only took 30 players. Normal. 30. 3 it- 0. Because everyone else was injured. Oh, I assumed that it was because they only had the one school bus and that was the max. <laughs> yep. Can't, can't get any more in there. Seems about right. Yeah. So Georgia Tech uh, was very good this year and just laid it into them. Only one interception this time for Alabama, which is good. They ran for 108 pass for, sorry, ran for 134 pass for 242. We're getting better. But uh, no, it's 108 to 130 total for 240. Oh, I'm so sorry. My bad. My bad. They're full on balanced in this one. I assume they won. They only had nine yards less than Georgia Tech. It was close, right? And one fewer turnover. Yep. And it was 26 to two. Uh, This was just one of those where there was a blocked punt. Uh, I'll read the thing. The story of the statistics, some factors which help explain the score that aren't told by the statistics are a a fumble by Alabama on Georgia Tech's one-yard line, which the engineers recovered. Two, a perfect pass from quarterback Bart Starr to end Dan Coyle that was dropped by Coyle when standing two yards deep in the end zone. <laughs> no. way, way to call him out for that. Three, a Bama, a Bama blocked punt, which lost them 38 yards, which pushed the ball on their 13-yard line. It took just two plays for Tech to score. 
four intercepted pass, which texts Jimmy Thompson returned 38 yards for a touchdown and five text ability to amass their yardage in two long drives, one for 73, the other for 79 to score their first and last touchdowns. So tech just fucking sat on them. What's in bold? It's like a perfect pass from quarterback Bart Starr. That's in bold. Yeah, like that's because fuck. that's the closest they got to good news. Yeah, hey, they almost scored, but they got what a safety. They did. It was it was towards the very end of the game. How about going to Miami to play? This is this is prehistory Miami. Okay, this oh, yeah. is not this is not my. Miami. Actually, you know what? They right were ranked- when Miami arose out of the sea. Yeah. Yes, I mean, they they ended up ranked this year, so yeah, pretty good. Miami got ranked. Uh, what? This, yeah. Uh, Miami 34, Alabama 12. Same mm-hmm. problems as before. Two interceptions. No fumbles because we've stopped running the ball for the most part. Oh, 100 yards rushing. And yeah, uh, this was... Here we go. Coach Witt's tribute. You can't beat them if you can't catch them. Accurately cape the Hurricanes home stand against the Crimson Tide as the fleet Miami backs romp to a 34-12 victory. <laughs> That Miami speed, not that SEC speed, the hurricane speed. But y'all, it's all going to turn around now. Do you know why? Yeah. It's Auburn week. <laughs> Auburn week. <laughs> Headline, Alabama has vowed revenge on Auburn. Oh. Defeat will re- result in winless season. Uh, the, the most ignominious, ignominious record that can be broken this Saturday against Ignominious. Alabama's most, was it ign- Ignominious. Ignominious. Thank you. Record can be broken this Saturday against Alabama's most bitter rival, Auburn, or it can become an actuality. Alabama players have vowed that they will win the game. We're going to win this one game with the season, and Auburn will be it. Tackle LV Elliott said, uh, in bold, Auburn is having one of its greatest seasons in history, boosting seven <laughs> wins, one loss, and one tie. They will enter the contest a staunch two-touchdown favorite over Alabama. On the basis of season play, they deserve a lofty pregame margin. But past games have emphasized the fact that Season victories mean nothing in such a bitter rivalry as this. Throw those records out. Throw the records out in the urn bowl. And Uh, then go pick up the records, dust them off, and bring them back in. Auburn wins 26 to (laughs) 0. I don't know what happened in my headphones, but I just got an ad for the all-new Hyundai Sonata. Ooh, it's a sign for my new car. I don't... don't, Okay, sure. I'm trying to figure out what tab was talking, (laughs) and I could not find it. I don't know where this Hyundai Sonata ad came from. Get a Kia. Kia's is nice. Uh, uh, Same company, but yes. From from the yearbook, Auburn did everything right, while Bama maintained its gloom by doing very little right. Jesus Christ. Uh, War Eagle. This happened, and Auburn ends up not winning the SEC this year because they are beaten. They end up losing it to Ole Miss, who has a slightly better record. However... Auburn does go to the Gator Bowl and lose to Vandy 25 to 13. I don't Vandy know, man. Comes for us all. Why is it a conference game at a bowl game? I, it was back Vandy in the day. Comes for I, us all. I, I, I'm going to guess racism. I'm going to guess racism. Oh, that's racism. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Segregation. Yeah. yeah I'm going to guess womp racism. Womp. That was, yeah. I, I wrote about that and I was just like, I was like, why do teams from the same conference play each other? And I, I wrote about that in the Substack and I was like, and then somebody was just like, hey, yeah, there was segregation. I was like, oh, well, delete the entire post. Yeah. And so in 1956, the next year, their losing streak continued until they beat Mississippi State 13 to 12, ending a winless streak that reached back to October 16th, 1954. Alabama had two full years of football where they didn't win a single game. 
They had ties, but they did not win a single game in two years. They would go, like we said, go two, two, seven and one in 56 and then two, seven and one again in 57 on October 24th. They announced Whitworth's contract would not be renewed. They let him coach out the year. How nice of them. How nice. And then they hired some guy on December 3rd by the name of Bear Bryant. No clue how that worked out. Can you imagine if Feinbaum had existed? Oh, I mean, just. (laughs) I mean, I got the school newspaper. I assume it would be at least that bad. Yeah. But Feinbaum wouldn't be waxing poetic about a phonograph skipping. Can you, can you imagine, you know, the, what the radio call-in shows in 55 Alabama would have sounded like? Paul! Even better, they'd all be on party lines. Oh, yeah. They're just taking turns. <laughs> just taking turns to bitch at Whitlock. Oh, my God. Freeconferencecall.com. <laughs> they would call in, like, ears, Whitworth, I hope you're all ears. Because I'm about to yell at your head. I'm Tyler from Tuscaloosa, and I fucking hate you. <laughs> How much are we paying you to get sucked this much? I, drove, paid, I think I drove all the way down the mobile. <laughs> and you lost to the green wave. I will say that the next season, the next year, where they did go 2-7-1, and one, their wins were against Mississippi State and Tulane, and they tied uh, Southern Miss. They did lose to Rice and Vandy again. Yeah, that was their uh, last and final game against Rice that we're aware of. Uh, maybe something happens in the future. Never, 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 never schedule them Bama, again. Bama, Bama scared. I, I, you know, you know, one one thing that would be hilarious is with the expanded playoff, Rice gets the G five bid, and they have to play Bama at Bama, and then Rice upsets Bama. <laughs> Too much Bama. We have someone else running on the field again. Too much Bama. That was the first time Rice ever played Bama, too. That was the first time. Too much Bama. That was the Cotton Bowl. Incredible. But yeah. Uh, Yeah, this. Yeah, Commission, you can put a ball on this one. I just want to say, like, this. Like, this is the the bottom. So, this is essentially the worst team of all time in Alabama's history. We know they've been in the news a bit, but I mean, really, how this happens. The funny part is that they, they're bringing home, like, somebody that played for them. Yeah. So it's like the, you know, the favorite son, the alumnus. He took us to the Rose Bowl in, in 1931. He was on the team. We, we were undefeated in 1931. It's, it's, he was a tackle. Like, he wasn't, like... A quarterback or anything. No, no, like he wasn't that. like an offensive mastermind. No, he wasn't. An, he was a tackle uh, for the team that that went undefeated in 1930 31. Um, he was an assistant coach for them for a little bit, but to have like this guy set up and and have this just go so wrong, which I I I kind of love this for Harold Drew. The one that they fired for, for yeah, they, they basically like fired him and hired the other guy in the same day. It and he, was and like it was he incredible. Was, like Harold Drew died in Tuscaloosa. He stuck around. Yeah. He was their track coach. He was around. Can you yeah. imagine? Like I would have, I would have gone past this guy every day and been like scoreboard. I've been like, I've been like, I would have bought the house next door to him. I I, I go out every morning, be like you know what. Get him next week. Hell, of, you know, good try. Hell of a game. You're such a good trier. Yeah, y'all, y'all tried so hard. 
this is yeah and and of course after that bear bryant showed up and then within let's see here the Owenton season was 55 by yeah. 61 they were ranked number one in the country and won and won the national title so yep it can happen yeah it it, it worked out for them in the long run which was was kind of hilarious uh that that it worked out that way but i i'm i'm just thinking if i'm i'm coach harold drew i i would just I, i'm just dying laughing uh every single time like i would have been at every single game oh yeah i would have been at as like dude look at this formation like what is this guy doing with the tight end like, like you 10 yards out 10 to 20 yards back there it's at 10 to 20 yards back so like i mean there's to the left of i gotta find video i'll, I'll find video of this i gotta see it and just just doing this but like incredibly like you call your favorite son home yeah i think i think when you put in the chat it's giving a little bit of scott frost it's giving scott frost uh, it's giving so much scott frost oh man i think it went worse than scott frost though. oh it's worse than scott frost oh, but yeah. it, okay you know history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes right yeah it does it's like you call the favorite son back home and oh boy and you're trying to paint like i love the writer bill smith right like he's trying to paint a rosy picture and then he just like halfway through the season is like i can't do it i can't do it anymore i cannot i give up uh i'm done honestly if an alabama coach went zero and 10 do you think he would survive the season no there's there's after the first seven losses they like at some point no, because they would have lost to like a G five team by then. Nowadays, yeah, that that yeah. would have been enough. To, I mean, I mean, not not the Rice Owls, who, according to uh, a lot I mean, of people, you know, were one of the better teams in the Southwest Conference. Well, I mean, if he was Owen, if he was Owen ten, yeah, but like six and six and losing to a G five team, maybe you keep that coach around for a little bit. A couple years, maybe. Let, let him cook for a little bit. We'll see what happens. Let him cook. Let him slow cook it. Well, folks, we are full face on into the off season. This is yeah. what it. This is what it's going to be like. We have a bunch more coming up on this. We're not going to do, I think, every single episode because we'll burn through them yeah. too fast. So we'll spread yeah. them out. We have more fun things planned as well. Who's there, Arthur? Yeah, I, I was going to say. I think next episode I will have rewatched Time Cop. It will okay. be fresh. Oh, there we go. I'm okay. probably going to talk a lot more about. Okay, Time I'm going to need to watch Time Cop. I'll have, too, I'll have to. I'll have to rest Time Cop too. Yeah, okay. like I said, there's like a bunch of places you can watch. Like there are a lot of places you can watch it like for free with like a few ads in there. Tubi's like my favorite. They like they still have some ad breaks, but like it's not it's not a lot. It's not too bad. And um yeah, you can you can watch Time Cop if you at home want to really follow along with the many Time Cop references. I'm sure we will all be making Jeez. next episode. How long uh, is yeah, Time you Cop? can watch Time Cop too. It can't, it can't be that long. It's got to be 90 minutes. It's a fucking Jean-Claude Van Damme movie from the 80s. Like, uh, 90s. There's no way. 99 minutes. That's, 99 feels, minutes? that's, a, that's a long That's a long movie. For I mean, John- how much of that is credits, though? Oh, that's true. Hey. I, I, I did find some video of this team. I will be going through it. I'll post some clips online. If we're doing bad 80s movies, I'm making a so watch Lady Hawk in a couple of weeks. Yes! <laughs> Lady Hawk's great, actually. Hey, in Time Cop, the, the girl that played Sloane Peterson was actually in Time Cop, too. There you go. That works. Okay, okay, folks. That's all I got for today. We will talk to you guys on the other side.
Roll Tide.